Hello and welcome to Dateline New Haven on WNHHFM, New Haven's home for community radio. I'm Paul Bass, inviting you to look behind the headlines on the stories that make our community tick. Well, some of the headlines that are on our mind these days have been coming out of Atlanta and Memphis. It involves policing, and they have a lot to do with how we police in New Haven as well and around the country. And to help us make sense of what's happening there and what it means for us here is WNHHFM's criminal justice <laughs> expert. Our resident policing expert, John Valeka, retired New Haven police chief and assistant chief and a long career in, in policing. And he's also a professor at Alberta's Magnus College. And John, are you still sergeant at arms in the state senate? Yes, I am. Yeah. Now, how, how many uh, senators have you been rounding up these days? <laughs> None. Okay. None. Zero. It doesn't sound too hard. Yes, it does. Although you've done gang task work before. Yeah, right, so right. <laughs> yeah, that's a formidable gang for sure. John, welcome to New ha- to the WNHHFM's Dateline New Haven. It's great to have you back. It's always great to be here. You know that. So the big issue, obviously, is Tyree Nichols. Yeah. Um, the, you know, there's an easy way to talk about this and a not as easy way. So let's get the easy way part out of the way first. People are just, they saw that video. We're just, our minds have been blown that these officers that stopped them for maybe suspicion of a traffic violation beat the crap out of him. He runs for his life, and then they get him. He's calling out for his mom, and then they just continue beating him, and he dies from his injuries. Well, what was that about? What did you think when you saw that? Well, you know, obviously I thought what everybody else thought. It was uh, brutal, obviously, you know, and, and way out of, obviously way out of line. Uh, but you know what? Those those units, they, they are... They're part of a unit called Scorpion. It's right. an acronym for a group that because of the increase in violent crime in Memphis, more extreme than here, but it's happened around the country since uh, about three years ago, the police chief said, okay, I hear you. I'm going to have this group go around and stop people who look like they're up to no good and right. see if bigger things are happening to cut down the crime. Right. And those units are, they're fueled by pretextual motor vehicle stops, basically. And that's pretty much what this was. Something like... You know, a minor infraction, uh, just to make a stop and, and investigate. Was further. there even one here? Uh, what was the well, minor infraction? Well, you know, you get to the point where it's reckless driving, and that's all on the perception of the police officer. So it's kind of a catch-all. It's like our interfering charge. Remember how we talk about yeah. the interfering charge? Do you think he was? Was he? Um, I didn't see enough of the video Not prior to, to the stop. It, but I yeah. haven't heard any evidence that there was anything. Going I, b- on. I believe that they said that one article I read said that there was not a lot of probable or any probable cause determined uh, yeah. to stop him. So. Uh, but they made the stop, so they had to make the stop some for some reason, you would think. But, um, you know, I didn't see that, put it that way in the video. And, boy, what I didn't realize to read more about it, because they lied about it first. The, right. the department said that there was a, a fight yeah. after he had acted badly, and then he got hurt. I mean, it wasn't a fight. He got stopped for no reason. And what they, the first time, they started hitting him. Right. And then he got away, and then they, <laughs> they yeah, beat him he, so badly he died. Yeah, yeah. They, they, it looks like they... They tried to get him out of the car. Um, obviously, you know, we need cause to get you out of your car. Um, now, if you're going to go by what you're supposed to do to remove somebody from the car, you, you're under the belief that there's a weapon somewhere in arm's range that they're going to do, do damage to you. Um, and you. Now, the officer sees you're compounding that with resistance. It, it always was there a weapon? Up. Was there resistance? No. There, well, there was. The only res- resistance would have been something along the lines of passive resistance, not getting out of the car. But then he did concede to get out of the car. Um, and then it was just an old, you know, just a, a, an assault, long story short. You so, know? What, you know, one thing I, have, I don't get yet, we haven't heard yet. Why did they do it? Well, why that, did they just beat up the innocent guy and kill him? Well, you know, that, that lends to the culture of those units, right? There, within policing, there's a culture within the culture of policing that exists within these units. And they're notoriously 
Um, they're riddled with misconduct, right? And that's why uh, we tend to move away from these. Uh, you talk about um, the street crime unit in New York, the stop and frisk issues, the crash unit in Bringing Los Angeles. And the mayor, right? Adams, said we can do it better. Right. So, And then you have the Scorpion unit. And there's, you know. We had the beat down posse, which wasn't the same thing. But not the same know, thing, but, you know, I've been. beating up. I've been, right, absolutely. I've been part of those units. I've managed those units. And I've organized and put those units into, into action, right, at one point in my career. And they operate differently. What was your unit called? Uh, when I first started out, it was it was street crime, um, and then when I managed it, I believe. I don't want to say IDNet. It was it was before I, I remember IDNet. ID I think it was like sort of the, the G unit, can. the gun unit, whatever they called it. I remember like IDNet. That. You managed IDNet. I was not in IDNet. That was uh, Jeff Hoffman, late Jeff Hoffman, handled that. Um, I did G, the gun unit, G, which was the G unit they gave at that time, that name. And then when I redid it, I did it as part of an, a, uh, a partner with TNU, but it was just simply the street Tactical crime narcotics unit. unit. Right. Remember? And, then, and you were, we had had a scandal with corruption, and you were charged, and you did. You made the unit clean in the sense that you weren't going around beating up people and you weren't right. stealing money like they had. Absolutely. But are you saying there's still something endemic to those units? Well, you know, I tell you. And what the, are these units? These units where you're in plain clothes and you stop people right. these units for are, small seeming offenses to see if there's something bigger? Well, they're, what, they're, what they're, they're really charged with is hot, what we call hotspot policing, right? They're supposed to identify areas that are, are high in crime and then go into those areas and try and enforce any, any kind of action they can, any kind of law they can, whether it's, uh, you know, on the upper end or the lowest end. And you're just supposed to initiate action and see essentially where that brings you. Um, but it, I'll tell you an interesting story about the culture within these units, right? So uh, this unit is called Scorpion, right? Um, and, <laughs> just by the name. Yeah. Well, that's what we're going to talk about. So. Yeah. Um, Bridgeport Police Department had a notorious unit that was problem is called TNT, right? Miami Police Department, TNT, same thing, tactical narcotics team. Um, Los Angeles, crash, right? So it you could tell almost the way these units are about to operate just by the naming of these units, right? So when I put TNU together, I went to Chief Lewis at that time, and I said, you know what, let's just call it TNT because that's... TNT? TNT, right? And tactical. He said, tactical narcotics team, uh -huh. and he said, absolutely not. And I said, why? He said, well, what is the message you're sending by naming your unit after dynamite, after yeah. something explosive? And I remember him telling me that if that's the way I thought, then he'd reconsider. I was the man for the job for this unit. And I said, well, um, I understand what you're saying. I agree with you. Let's rename it. He said, call it TNU. I understand the tactical end. I understand the narcotics end. But you're a unit, and we don't want to send out the wrong impression. And that always kind of stuck with me. So if you look at... These units, they're notoriously named something, how should I say, aggressive or something, you know, yeah. something to that matter, right? And and that's that's endemic of how the officers... So what happened with TNU, when you look back, do you think TNU was the right thing to I do? I do. You think I do. the culture was not a problem? I think the culture lies with uh, the selection of the officers and, and the leadership in the unit, right? But I also think that if I put that unit set forth as TNT, a different type of officer would have wanted to come into that unit, Right. I wouldn't have had the veteran officers who were parents. And what about the fundamental question? So we go back and forth a lot in our city, in our country. New York's been the classic case of when you stop people and why. And Rebecca Sweeney Goddard says supervision is key. So that's an important thing right. for us to focus here. And you did. I mean, we didn't have any problems when you did that. Right. I'm wondering about a, 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 an underlying issue because ID.net, the problem was, Okay, you go out there, we're stopping everybody for everything. We're yeah. going to show this order. And the neighbor's asking you. When we did IDNet, Dwight Kensington was asking us. They said, you know, it's one of these periods when violence is out of control. If it was, oh, 
8.07. And they said, uh, and so we, there was this new version of community policing that was no longer solve the problem without arrests and rack up the arrests right. to show that we're out there. And you get applauded by some people who don't cause trouble. They would say, hey, you're out there. You're not going to let the person loiter. You're not going to let that person have an expired license plate. You're not going to have that person drive like a, a nutcase and not look out for the kids. And we don't want that. So you're showing there's no bar, sort of zero right. tolerance. But then there's another end of it where, and, and also you get praised. So the officers get praised by very honest supervisors who say, hey, Paul, it's like they, they're showing good, um, not aggressive, they say good uh proactive assertive a, a proactive initiative they took right. the initiative they saw and often it's true they saw if you look in the other tinted windows or something there is a gun there sometimes mm -hmm. there's no question that they more often get illegal guns off the stop street by stopping someone for some other reason or a pretext the problem right is that all of a sudden people it's like an armed camp in your community right right and again i'm not faulting an officer it's just that you, you so i'm wondering where the culture also has to do with your seeing people as targets and like I remember, there's right. one officer who became a chief who told the New Hallville cops round up everyone and their mama because right. we gotta get our numbers up to shut New Hallville. We're, we're stopping people, and this was as recently as a few years ago. Yeah. And there were women going to church, just getting stopped on their way to church three times a week. Right. Do we want that, or is that part no, of the culture no, no, problem? No. So no. how do you avoid that? Well, here's 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 the thing: when you get these units, of course you're you're gonna ask, you're gonna ask them to to go out there and see what they could do to fight crime. However. A knee-jerk reaction to the public, whether they're a proponent of community policing or not, when, when there are murders and there are violence happening in your neighborhood every day, the knee-jerk reaction of the people in the community is say, lock everybody up, Save do us. something. Right? Do something. You have to be able to withstand that as a police officer, and you have to still understand, you, one, you have to understand the law constitutionally, right? Which is a lot of our, our baseline officers don't. Um, knowing when you can stop somebody, what the reasons for that is when you should stop somebody, even bringing the moral aspect of it, Maybe somebody is in a minor violation, but they're with their children. Are they heading to work? Are they dropping them off at the bus? Maybe that's not the time to enforce that law, right? Mm -hmm. So, and I get what you're saying about, okay, sometimes when you look through a car, there's a, there's a gun there, and okay, that's a good seizure. But let's talk about out of 100 times you make that stop, what is there a gun there? Maybe once or twice? Now you've disenfranchised 98 people to get two guns. It's not worth it. It's just simply not worth it. The, the breakdown in trust... So it's that's interesting. So now what you and Rebecca talk, and I totally agree with you, Rebecca, that it starts with supervision and who you hire. Right. You talked about naming it so we're not out there as sort of like a gang. Right. But what about this other question you're raising now? I think it's not so easy. I really feel for the cops and for the neighbors because of these conflicting impulses that right. you want, you have a sixth sense. Like cops aren't dumb, right? They, no, so no, many cops absolutely. we know do know that someone's up to something. They can just sure. tell by reading the street, right? So, like, I'm thinking of one officer I know who got in a lot of trouble because he did some wrong things, but he really knew how to read the street, and he would know somebody was up to something, but then there there were issues of how that stop was made, and then, of right. course, there's the racial issue, right? So, like, if you know that there's a neighbor where only one kind of race hangs out, and you see some white guy looks strung out hanging the black neighbor, you know he might not be up to any good, but right. or the black person going, the white neighbor always gets harassed, even if it turns out they live there, right? <laughs> you right, know, right. or, you know, just because they had a nice car, there's a state yeah. Supreme Court justice who got stopped, who was black because he had his BMW, but he had sweats to go get it washed, and that doesn't look right. right. So how do you balance that, like, instinct that cops as human beings kind of need to call on? You need to call on your being able to read reality and yet you have to worry about what you mentioned about safeguards, the real reason for stops, the constitutional reasons. Right. So, so I don't agree with the sixth sense of, of a police officer. I, I don't believe that exists. 
I believe that when you see an officer who can read the street, that's because they've got a lot of experience and they're drawing from that, which is experience is knowledge, and knowledge is able gives them the ability. It's not a sixth sense. It's not they're not special. They don't know anything that the normal person doesn't know. They've just been involved in war, right? So that being said, if you have knowledge from your experience, you need to know the other end of the knowledge, and that's the constitutional knowledge. It's part of your job, right? And you don't stop somebody just because you think. Now, you may think somebody has committed a crime. That's not enough to stop anybody. And if you know you can't do that, then you not should, you shouldn't be a police officer. Because there's, there's a test. But what about when you get rewarded by well, yeah, supervisors who are responding to legitimate concerns from the neighborhood, as you pointed out, and say you've had good proactive policing? Right. Well, the, the, the you stopped someone who did. You were allowed to stop that person because their taillight was out. And you got the gun. You had the fight, you know. Right. Well, you know, the response has to be as legitimate as the complaint, right? And you, all, you need your officers to think more holistically, not just one-dimensionally. Go into a situation and say, okay, is there a violation? That's not, it's not as simple as that, and it shouldn't be as simple as that. We're dealing with people. There's a human element there. Like I said, if, if you know, somebody's got an expired registration sticker and they're driving their two kids to school and they're heading off to work, one of their two or three jobs, do you really? Is that really what? How you're do you know do? they're not going to their second job in the middle of the night at Dunkin' Donuts when it's one in the morning on Kensington Street? How do you don't? So do you, you stop don't. them? If there's if they have a red, you're saying if if I know it, sure you stop them, get their story, and if it's, you know if you believe in that, use your discretion and make it make a decision. You don't always have to enforce the law. I mean that's just the reality of the situation. Sometimes the smaller infractions, you're gaining more, right? By not enforcing law. Right, there's also that issue that people get all these expensive debts because the way our court system deals with it, and then they get deeper right. in a and hole. and then they hate the police, and then yeah. that's the problem. And then you may, you may, not that you even, not even that you need somebody to give you information, before, although it does matter, but at the same time, we're not here to do that. Well, as Eric Adams right in New York, he's a, he was a retired police officer. He says he was against the stop and frisk the way it was being racially imbalanced, but he's bringing a backstop and frisk, said, I believe we could do it in a way... That isn't racially imbalanced, and he's responding to conservatives in the city who, basically, white people aren't being protected from black, why, uh, yeah. privileged white people aren't being black, protected from people they see they're scared of. But is he right, or is it just can't be done? I think that you can do police work, and you, you could do things like uh, you know stop people based on reasonable suspicion to interview them and determine whether a crime is is about to be committed or not, without violating the rights or bringing in a racial element into it. The problem is that it's it's labor intensive. Let's say. And a lot of officers don't want to be bothered with that aspect of the job, right? Um, now, if you need numbers, which is like we've talked about this before, a lot of everything, you know, it wasn't until I got to the chief's level where I understand everything is driven by numbers, right? Every, every dollar I get is driven by numbers. So if I need numbers, I'm going to send my officers into the most densely populated area in the city, right? Because they're going to have the more opportunities to enforce laws. Those happen to be our black and brown neighborhoods. So and our impoverished neighborhoods. So that's the whole thing. Can you withstand the money but could, to mm -hmm. do what's right, or do you need the money so much you're willing to do what's and wrong And I feel morally, for this police right? chief they brought into Memphis. Black woman was not from there. Yeah. She said, you got to help us clean up, and she felt both the reality and the concerns of Black Lives Matter movement, and sometimes from the same human beings, yeah. the concern of, oh, my God, because they have a lot of murders in yeah, Memphis. Yeah, yeah. And, and said, oh, my God, you got to do something about this. She said, I hear you, hear Scorpion. What should she have done? I think she did everything that she could have possibly done. I personally, if it were me, I would have disbanded Scorpion before they had an opportunity to do this. I don't agree with those units. I don't think there's a place for them. But you had TNU. I you did. You just didn't call Scorpion, and, you know, and, and they weren't jerks. Well, TNU was different than Scorpion. TNU was investigative detectives with narcotics work. It wasn't a roll-through, rip-and-grip type unit. Uh -huh. 
So when rip we, and grip is kind of the term of art? Yeah, well, you you know, you stop somebody and, and you're ripping and gripping their pockets. Not necessarily literally. Right, so TNU is investigated. That's different. TN, TNU was made up of detectives. But ID.net was rip and grip. Um, I don't want to say that because right. I was in charge of it because I don't really Be know. Be honest here. See what you learned from being a cop. Well, I'll put it this I way. As soon as they did, I said, how is this community policing? I remember arguing with Rob Smuts, who was this yeah. community, in charge of chief minister. I said, community policing was supposed to be arrest people less as a last resort right and work with people to find out the roots of crime and solving problems with id net you're you're bragging about how many people you can stop and get for small right. offenses how is that community policing that's not that's not community policing that's that's not policing that's that's lazy officer policing, but you were in charge of that opinion. i you was not in charge of id net oh. oh i thought you said you were no jeff hoffman was in charge of okay. id net pete reichert actually was in charge of id net uh, jeff was just a sergeant in there I took and over again, the, we're not faulting individuals. Yeah, no, They're no, taking I'm orders saying, what the community wants and what just the department the thinks do. Yeah. So what do you think about IDNet? Well, I, didn't, I wasn't a proponent of IDNet at that time. I was asked to be the supervisor in IDNet, oh. and I turned it down. Um, I, was, I was just, it had nothing to do with the unit. Just, I was content in my patrol um, position at that time. Um, when I rebirthed the street crime unit as part of a tandem with the TNU, they were a, a house, they were a, um, a per, or a uh, ancillary investigative unit. They weren't, um, they weren't a grip and rip unit. In other words, they weren't charged with going in there and stopping everybody. They were charged with going to the detective, getting a list of people they needed to to look at and for their investigations, and then trying to gather information on them because the detective was overwhelmed. So, like, if I were investigating you, and I we identified four or five people that you worked with. Well, then that unit will go out and investigate each one of those just because the detective can't do all that on his own, right? And if you remember, um, Chris Sr., I believe, got into a shooting doing that. He was part of that street crime. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. So he was, he, that, was, that person that he got into the shooting with was somebody who was involved in the investigation. They were charged with surveillance, and then uh, the shooting happened. But it wasn't a unit where you arbitrarily go out to hotspots, so to speak, and look to see what you can get. Go fishing, so to speak. I'll go know? fishing hotspot. And we're fishing for some answers to deeper questions beyond the obvious injustice of what happened in Memphis about how law enforcement should do its job when police are being buffeted by sometimes contradictory right. demands. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're doing that on Dateline New Haven. Our guest is John Valleca, the criminal justice slash policing expert of our radio station. So, John, yeah. an interesting twist on the Tyree Nichols case here. This is an issue you and I disagree with uh, each other about uh, respectfully, and that's speed cameras. So for decades now, New Haven's lawmakers, most recently Roland Lamar, state rep, have tried to get the state permission, but I guess we do have permission. I guess they had a state bill to promote and fund speed cameras where we just set up places where people drive like maniacs. It's gotten worse. We had, a, a, I think, a third increase, if it was, a few years of pedestrians getting killed and cyclists. Um, and we're hearing that a lot from neighbors, especially poor neighbors, saying, you know, stop these people speeding. So we set up. Once in a while, a crew at a random place to enforce the laws and kind of stop people for bad driving. And instead of like, and, but the speed cameras would be set up so you get their license plate. So if they're driving bad, you get billed. For years, that's been killed. Year after year at the Capitol, they say, black and brown communities say this is going to be used more against us. Mm -hmm. Some of them say, although some of the demands come from those communities, civil liberties people say, you know, you're guilty until innocent under this. rather than, And, you know, it's not going to be done well. It's just going to be a moneymaker. This year, Tyree Nichols entered the debate. They said, look, when police are arbitrarily stopping for traffic violations, it's not always perfect, consistent. Sometimes other things are playing. They can turn into these horrible incidents, horrible for the cop, horrible for the victim. Right. 
So with speed cameras, it's just everybody speeding. You'd get it so much more efficiently, get everyone who's speeding or driving like a crazy person. And that's that. And you don't have the human element of coming in and it could turn into something horrible or be arbitrary. They're saying this becomes a civil rights and civil liberties reason to put in the cameras. What do you think, John? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a proponent in uh, surveillance in our communities. I've never been. Uh, dare I say that and have Justin Elker call me a dinosaur like he did last time. However, uh, what I can tell you is this. We sat here, I mean, it was a year ago, and we debated the surveillance cameras going in, and I told That's you. That's a separate issue. Right. So city got well, hundreds of no, surveillance it's not. cameras. It's, it's oh, you're tan- saying it's not a separate issue. It's a issue. tangential issue. Okay, right? what those cameras were, they just set them up in places just to watch all the crime, right. and they say, and well, had- the reason Bridgeport and Waterbury and Hartford were solving more homicides was that they had all this video Which evidence com- that's useful. completely unfounded. Completely unfounded. Second, I tell you, you got the cameras in. We've had five homicides. Most we've had in January since 2011, since I was there. How many have you solved with the camera? Zero. They actually said they do get some, like, quick yeah, license they, plate. Well, okay, wait a second. They get pictures. All right, I got, I got pictures, too. Um, I got license plates, too. I got descriptions. We never made a case on all that. We never made a right, case. Right, you're not necessarily make the case, but, but you find the person sooner. And that's helpful. Well, I'm not, how, do you, how do you know if you found the person soon? How do you, I mean, what are you comparing that to? You're if, saying, you if you didn't have a license plate from the speed, from the, well, the car may not have the car. The chances are, well, listen, we're in New Haven. How many times I've gotten a license plate and then come back to the car, was unregistered, was in misuse. I mean, there Wait, no but, use. but if they get it immediately, they can look for that car around town. Right, they could feed it into their LPN. And, and, they then also, bang, they get, and if we actually watch. And how many times does that happen? That, now we're getting into the whole thing of, do I stop you because the tinted windows are the tinted windows is a gun? But how many? No, people... I'm talking real time. They're saying now that we've got hundreds of new cameras. Right. Being let monitored. me see. Let me see that happen. Uh, and that's great in theory. Is it happening? No, it's not happening. They did have an arrest recently where they told out of us how they many quickly... times? Okay. Out of how many? Really? Out of how many times? So my what's point, lost? My point to this yes. is, when we're going to get to the point where every inch of our city is covered by a camera. Oh, I think it's happening for right. some reason. Yeah. Right. For some reason. So you're going to tell me if we have a speed camera up? Okay. And somebody commits a felony, we're not going to enforce that felony because it's on a speed camera? Of course we are. Now, but, okay, now, now, uh, now this might be beyond our technological knowledge here. I thought it's going to be pointed right at the intersection, right at the cars. Could be. Well, what happens if that camera catches a felony, a criminal felony without a motor vehicle violation? What do you do with that information? Do you not act on it? Can't not act on it. Of course you're going to act on it. But we already have those cameras up everywhere, John. Well, you, I'm, I'm quite sure that those cameras are going to go into areas that are not covered right now by the cameras that exist. Right. We won't have dual coverage. Well, they said the reason, oh, they did say the way, the way they're now talking, they've refined the program. They say they're going to put it based on the data, where there's the worst driving, the yeah, most okay. crashes. Yeah, I know. That's, a, that's great. That's a good political dance. I understand that. But listen, it's not going to, it's going to, it probably will follow that data. Okay. But I can assure you, I'll bet anything, if there was a crime camera that's covering that area already, they're going to move that crime camera, put it somewhere else. And you don't think it's possible to make it there. not like a crime camera? Just make it no, a, I could, just, yeah. just take license plate numbers. Absolutely. Do I think the cameras will have that oh, capability? Oh, so you're the one who talked about what if something like when I said they did cite the cameras recently, you said, well, that was just one out of how many. Yeah, right. Let's put down the reverse on you, John. What if you have this just pointed at the license plates? Yeah. And that once, you're worried that once in a year there might be a felony right at that intersection, right where the light is, right where the camera's pointed at car license plates. Mm-hmm. And so how often is that going to be versus how many people might get ca- well, caught the, or billed who, if who we're, find who might be killing kids or running over seniors or cyclists? All right. Well, well I, if you were to ask me, 
if we were to invade people's rights and, and put them under surveillance and catch them once out of 100 years, that's one time too many. Because and I when, agree. We shouldn't where, invade their rights. But how does it invade end? their rights when you're driving a car? Yeah. Like if you have a gun, you have a, a permit for a gun. Right. You don't have the right to then just go shoot up a school. No, of course not. So the camera will catch you there. If I drive a car, I don't have a right to run through the light at 80 degrees and, and uh, I mean, 80 miles per hour and, you know, swerve at the last second and not look what I'm doing while I'm talking. So sure. yeah. wh why, how does that violate rights to have my license plate taken when it's shown I did that? I think it, it's uh, in that one particular instance, maybe it doesn't violate your rights and, and you weigh that against the safety of the community. But I think when you start bringing cameras in for every small little violation that the communities complain about, I think you're you're opening a door where you can't close it. I agree with that, and but but we're going a little bit against the tide of history, because as as Mayor Elker said, that's over. People have decided we want the cameras in society, and they are everywhere. People have their home cameras, the ring cameras. I share your concerns about civil liberties. Again, I'm wondering if we're doing too much of a blanket here with the speed cameras. I think that what I would my the police officer, at least the administrative police officer, and he says, "Is there another way I can do the Is same there? thing?" Is there? I think there is. I think that if you're proactive with your um, motor vehicle enforcement, now I don't know what Carl's doing. Oh, now. we're back. He to may now. be doing that. Proactive, but we said earlier that we got to watch out but for that. Pro proactive motor vehicle enforcement, which you're instructing the officers that we're not using as as pretextual stops. So, in other words, if I pull you over for a red light, the questioning doesn't turn to where you're going, where you're coming from, what's this, what's that. You got anything in the car? It, we're talking about the red light infraction, and that's it. So you were worried about the f video used to get a license plate capturing unintentionally a felony and being used. How will this be different from you're stopping the person in the car and you do notice there's a gun on the ground? That's a different and story. You, and you're That's watching the bags of crack. That's a different story. But I, to be honest with you, I was a pretty assertive police officer. Okay. I've never stopped a car where the gun was up on the dash and we made arrest. Every gun I've taken out of a car was found after a line of questioning and removal from the person in the car and search of the car. And you're saying don't do that questioning. And I'm saying, stuff. right, I'm saying if you're going to do motor vehicle enforcement, do motor vehicle enforcement, okay? But why not Don't go combine. back to your... Because that's, that's my point. If you could combine that and stay constitutionally sound, okay. But a lot of times we can't, and we're just, we're fishing. And that's what I think is the dangerous so thing when I say... So don't go fishing. Right, when I see officers pull don't somebody over... Don't rip and rip. When I see somebody right, don't when I see somebody getting pulled over for a motor vehicle violation, and then the officer starts in the line of question, where are you going? Where do you live? Where are you going from? Where do you work? All this other stuff, right? Why? Why are we doing that? Why are we why are we putting people under that kind of interrogation? Because that's exactly what that is. Because you're not asking questions just to wonder. You're interrogating somebody so because you're looking point. for a guilty you response. You earlier said well, if we start doing cameras for every little thing people complain about then it, it, there's right. no end to it. I agree with that. I think we have but to have is this every little thing, or do we have a real problem we, we with out-of-control driving that's really ending people's lives Listen, or debilitating I, them? I get it. The old guy who was walking on College Street. I mean, it's just... Right. We do have a problem with Sherman it. Sherman Park. But here, here's the thing. As administrators, police administrators especially, you have to at some time have the guts to stand up and say... No, we're not going to do that because we're going to view the rights of society holistically. We're going to look at everybody. I love that, but aren't we now forgetting the rights of people to walk in the street and ride their bikes? Well, well, weigh the rights. Or no, no, I understand that too. But what do we do? To, do we violate the rights of more people? I guess to to take care of a small majority. 
right? Is that what, I mean, is that what we're doing? Okay, okay the people in Dwight Kensington, uh, there's a problem there with dealing drugs. So you know what? We're going to put the whole city in surveillance, you know, and, and that's it. And that's all there is to it. We're going to roll drug units into every neighborhood just because Dwight can We're punishing everybody for a specific problem. I don't, I don't agree with that, my personal opinion. That's, mm -hmm. I don't agree with, I don't agree with, um, cameras everywhere. I do agree. Listen, where would I've you had, support cameras? I support. I used cameras for many times in my career. If we had an area that was uh, characterized by gang activity, we documented it. We wrote for a warrant. We and we got a poll camera or surveillance. If there's cause in a specific area, I'm all for it. But to arbitrarily stack cameras because you know the numbers going up in a certain area for motor vehicle violations. Then what happens, okay, so we, we stopped the problem at uh, El Grasso in Washington, right? And then at Congress in, uh, in, what, in the boulevard, now we have a problem. Okay, so we put another camera there. And then, then six months later, we have a problem here. We put another camera over there. Now, okay, are we moving the camera? After Washington Boulevard clears up and there's no more violations there, are we taking that camera down? I got to be honest, you know, I think you make a lot of sense, John. And, you know, I usually am so much in your camp, but I'm having such a hard time imagining in a real way losing anything and not gaining a lot by just getting the video of the license plate when they drive like nuts that i don't see any other way to really stop it yeah we tried I, everything I, we set up like that no way. We, we haven't set up tried on everything Sergeant we, 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 we start up everything. on long wharf drive on july 4th and i then can they tell go you, somewhere else right understood i can tell you why we haven't tried everything it's no fault of uh the police chief because you know how i think about car i think he's doing a fantastic job I think that's simply with what's going on in the city of New Haven, all right, there's simply not enough police officers to do what we need to do when it comes to motor vehicle. But they're too busy handling calls. I thought you used to say we didn't need more. We just got to use them better. Well, what I said before was the way we're running the place now, no, we don't need 440 cops. If we're going to be a reactive, go to number one calls and no walking beats and things like that, we could definitely get by with 300 cops, 250 even, right? But... If we want all these peripheral things, these motor vehicle violations, walking beats, and all these things, that's that takes more cops and takes more money. That's what I've always said. Mm -hmm. That was in the context of the conversation that we're spending too much money. Remember, $11 million or whatever it was in overtime. It's no good. And what I said was we could cut the overtime, but you're not going to get to services, right? And that's all there is to it. Now, and we, Harry says criminals have rights too. Don't gang members are privacy. In your argument, you were saying earlier, you have to have enough evidence for suspicion that you would yeah. be able to obtain a warrant and that anyone you have evidence against of criminal activity, then they're, the laws you're allowed that, to I surveil. guess Harry sums up. I think that the only way the government, which is what we are, should put you under surveillance is if there is cause to do that. And, and it's got to be an articulable cause, and you have to show that cause. That's my personal opinion. I don't think we should arbitrarily get into people's lives. We've talked about this before. I think less policing is better, not more at this time. Mm -hmm. I think people are tired of the police being in their lives. All right, and we're talking about that on Dateline New Haven. New Haven's home for community radio, WNHHFM, New Haven's 103.5 FM live stream, newhaven.org. John Valeka, who is the police and criminal justice expert of this radio station. Cop City, that's not what people who want to build it call it. Right. Atlanta, 85 acres of forest. There's actually urban forest in Atlanta. I never knew yeah, that. Sure. And unlike almost anywhere else in America, nature is right near the poorest neighborhood. Yeah, an eighty-five acre forest on tribal historic tribal land, next to a black neighborhood, low income in in Atlanta. They want to, they've approved state and federal money, uh, state and local money to destroy the forest and make it into the replica of a city, and it'll be a pro a training area for police on how to do crowd control. 
Um, this passed, but for the last year, there's been a protest. People are in the trees trying yeah, to stop sure. and take it down. <laughs> yeah. And then um, two weeks ago, there was an exchange of gunfire between one of the protesters and a cop. The protester died. The cop got hit in the stomach. He's in serious condition in the hospital. The governor has called a state of emergency, sending in the National Guard to clear it out. What's your take on this incident? Yeah, I was reading about that last night. They, I guess um, yesterday, the day before, they, they cleared everybody out of there. Uh, I think that goes along with what I've been saying. I think that, I don't think that we've gotten to the point in policing where we, we don't really pay much attention to the realities of what the community want. We, we're good at appeasing them, telling them what they need to hear, right, giving them hollow promises. Um, and I think you just need to weigh that. You know, it's a great facility, something that, my God, it's, you know, um, I would love to have all that stuff to train with. But at what cost? That's the whole thing. Are you, are you, you're going to turn yourself, you're going to disenfranchise your, your department with a community where, where relations are already strained. I mean, you might, and that's like putting the nail in the coffin almost. I mean, is there another place we could do it? Maybe not as big. Um, I would look for alternatives, to be honest with you. I don't what agree What would with you it. do when the protests are happening? I remember you were in charge of the apartment during part, if I'm not mistaken, during um, Occupy New Haven right. on the green. Yep. That was so complicated because at first, yeah. New Haven's place, yeah, we love protests. Then all yeah. of a sudden, it got to be kind of dangerous. There could be fires. It was unhealthy. Most people yeah, they're threatening police the officers. Yeah. They threatened police officers. Everyone called the Jewish police officer whose parents were Holocaust survivors, called them a Nazi because yeah. like things could burn down. The public couldn't use the park. Right. It, it, it got dystopian. What, what was your experience from that that you could bring to situations like Cop City? Well, well, I'll tell you what, I think uh, Rebecca's listening, and she hears, I think she might have been involved in that on the lieutenant or sergeant level. I felt but, so bad that day for the uh, officers when I saw when they, and these weren't any people from New Haven. I remember when they had meetings, they would like make fun of like what a dangerous neighbor the hill has never been there. Yeah. It's kind of like, I mean, there were beautiful things to start to occupy about the 1%. By the time it, it got to be more than a week here, it got to be like Lord of the Flies. Right. And I a think, lot of drug use and mental health stuff absolutely, too. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It, got, it, it got overrun with that at one point, and but... But I think what the officers did at, on the, in the uniform level, um, the, uni the, the lower level sergeants and lieutenants and the officers themselves, they, they established a relationship with, with the people that were there. And I think that that went, you know, when we, we got a little bit of resistance. But a lot of times, um, if we asked them to do certain things, to see certain behavior, they did. Right, they did, and, and that was out of because well, Rebecca says we did not handle occupying the green correctly. I had a good relationship with the occupiers. I wonder what Rebecca thinks they did wrong and who we were. Was it? I mean, I mean the government officials had good right. impulses at first to want to let them there, but then you couldn't control the situation. So I don't know what else the police should have done differently. I don't know what else this. I'm interested, Rebecca, if you want to keep. And thank you for commenting on Facebook. I want to. I'm interested. What? Yeah, I'd like she to hear what she says. Been done. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I was. I was the acting chief at the time. So Rebecca will give you probably give you a better perspective because she was closer to it. Um, from my aspect, at the administrative end, we didn't have the problems um, that we anticipated. In other words, we didn't have the major incidents. But there may have been a lot of major, major um, incidents, rather, at the lower level that we could but have done better. But so also, the weather was getting warmer. Yeah. People were going to use the green. They couldn't use the green. Yeah. They had all the tents up, and it wasn't necessarily safe. Well, you got to remember, too, and, and I don't mean, to, I'm not trying to project, but um, I left that january of 2012 and then esserman came in and handled the the back end okay. of that right so okay. um i'm not trying to put it off anything on, on him no, whatsoever at all time, yeah. I, I still think that that from uh you know a relatively from the administrative level was handled well, well what should have happened like with the in the in atlanta it ended up in a shootout what could it have done to make it not a shootout you know, and people in the trees you know i don't know the details of the, the actual shootout incident and i would think i would have to know that before i commented on it 
However, I do think that sometimes uh, we have a tendency to, how should I say, we have a tendency to tell the public that we know what's best for them, right? And I, I think that that's a sentiment in policing that needs to really end. I think that that's a lot of the problems, you know. The final day I was asked to leave the area and they went with force. I still don't agree to this day. That's interesting, Rebecca, oh. they with force. Now he says in Atlanta the protesters shot a cop. Police returned fire. That's what they say. We don't know have any evidence that yet. They did not I mean, have body camera footage. No body camera. Okay. There was no body camera, which is very suspicious. They've been saying police need more training. Cops, cops actually decide to help fund that facility, and they are the bad guys. That oh, he's starting with Antifa thing. Okay, so he he says it's the nutty group that goes in the trees. But you know, what do you do when the group is right. someone that mainstream society considers nutty? How do you deal with them? Whether it's January six protesters or you know people who refuse to yeah, leave public I mean, property. You know, you get to a point now where if it gets too out of control, there's really only, only one response. I mean, the reality is you have to restore order. If things are getting violent, people are being hurt. Um, but before that, theoretically, you could sit and, and negotiate and speak and try and make people understand. Now, look, it, it, there are going to be people who are never going to understand. Like right? they, It wasn't just their green. It's the public's green. But oh, you're talking about Occupy. Both, or, right. or in the trees. Like yeah, I actually so, agree that they shouldn't build that facility, I'm sympathetic to the people who are in the trees, but I would obviously would never shoot a cop. But right. if they did that, but also they don't really have a right to be up there. Now, there's a reason for civil disobedience when you think there's a larger cause. It got pretty. Right. It got after Occupy for a few months. It got to be pretty far away from it. Well, yeah, that's. I think that's the thing, Paul. Is a lot of times, if you if you um, protest the right way, you'll be heard. But eventually, the, a lot of times, they devolve into something where there's no other alternative but to stop them and break them up. Um, and then, then the cause is lost, right? Uh, I think that that was a mistake. However, you know, you're engaging police officers and you're shooting them. You know what you're going to get in return with that. Um, but the cause itself, right, I, I think that uh, I think we could be more sympathetic to a lot of these things. Some, like I, I will stick with a lot of times. Well, I knew the cops dug the people. Like they didn't have, I didn't know any cop who was against what the Occupy people advanced. Right. It just got to be a dangerous situation there. Yeah, but, well, you know what it is? It's, it's like everything else. There are some people that see an opportunity to use it to their own, you know, fulfill their own agenda or do their own thing, and, and they cloud up everything, and they make a mess of it, to be honest. So it's as easy as that. All right, we're talking with Criminal Justice Police, and thank you so much, Rebecca Sweeney, got it for writing in Harry Jross as well. Um, some other issues. What do you think of the fallout from the Randy Cox case in New Haven? That's when the guy was arrested, put in the prisoner's transport. They had no seatbelts. Now they do. He was banged around, got really hurt, and yeah. then the driver handled it wrong, didn't take him to the hospital, took him to lock up, and then they just did crazy stuff there. They dragged him across the floor. Right. After he, paral- he was paralyzed for the rest of his life. It looks like we're going to be bankrupted, <laughs> maybe. I mean, it looks like they have sentiment talks that are going to go well below, above yeah. the $30 million they were talking about. Yeah. What, how do you feel about how that's playing out? And well, they, are, I mean, they arrested the officers. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean yeah, they did. And, and they're and arresting they, a lot of officers that didn't used to arrest. Right, and I, but I think that that's more of, of a, a, a um, an example of where we are in society now. And, I, and like you know, the the chief in Atlanta got a lot of accolades for taking the quick action that she did. But I personally don't think that she's doing anything that Carl Jacobson isn't doing. And I don't well, think he's that, going it, fast to take action. Right, and I don't think th- either one of those two are doing anything that's that's accepted. That's what he has to do that now because the, this community is not going to accept anything other than that. Right. There, the days where you come out after a major incident like a Cox or a Tyree Nichols and you say, you know, wait, we're going to investigate this for two year, two years, that's not going to happen anymore. You know, so often I look at officers who do something wrong, and often they're really wonderful people who on other days have done things so well. I know there are people like that. We, there was yeah. a guy, you know, yeah, yeah. 
they had to get rid of who was just mentally ill and just doing crazy stuff from day one to somehow stay right. on the force. But when I look at, for instance, the driver, he was a very good officer. There yeah. was a guy, Jason yeah. Santiago, who in the middle of like being harassed by a crowd and almost killed by a driver, went into a burning car to save his life. Yeah. yeah. And he also screwed up one day with someone who was difficult. I think it was Christmas or Thanksgiving Day and, and hit him while he was in handcuffs. And now he's being criminally prosecuted. He lost his job. Right. And that that's what's happening now. It didn't mm -hmm. used to happen. How do you feel about that? I think that that's what should happen. I, I really do. I always have felt that way. I think that, it, you know, there's a certain way to do this job, and, and if you break the law, then, I mean, you break the law. You're not above the law because you're a police And yet you're officer. against getting rid of qualified immunity for cops. Because I think that opens, that, that sends a wrong message. It, it opens up the door for a lot of frivolous litigation. That's my personal opinion. But that's so odd because that's identified as the number one people who want police accountability in the country. They say the police unions through the politicians got this special <clears throat> protection for cops to break the law without yeah. any responsibility that nobody else has in other professions yeah. and that that's given them this carte blanche. Like I, I guess one way I think we don't agree is I think it's so hard to convict an officer, which is fine. Right. Because they are putting their life at risk and, and you are responsible for how you train and supervise the department should be on the line. But you really don't convict an officer unless they've done something so egregious. Well, I, I don't think it's the presence of the doctrine that, that does that. I think it's the interpretation of the court. The court is very... Yes or no with it, where there's no gray area, right? They're very quick Juries, to say. Juries, juries sympathize with officers. Right. Well, I mean, that used to be the case. Do they still sympathize with officers? I'm not so sure. However. Ray Tennant got off? Yeah, well, I mean, that's a, don't even get me going on that story. But anyway, Well, but that happened. It did. It did. Um, but he also, wait a second, he also completed, um, you know, what he needed to complete. So should he be treated like everybody but else? That had nothing to do with the right? criminal, that had nothing to do with the criminal stuff, and well, they stretched it out so that he could retire and get his full benefits. Oh, well, we, I mean, th we talked about that already. I, I, I'm the first person to agree with that, to be honest with you. Um, but I think it's, like, getting back to quality. But if anyone else in society, okay, yeah, right, okay, go ahead. You know, I think it's the application of that doctrine when it gets to court, because the judge decides whether it applies or whether it doesn't, and it's as simple as that. There's no real, um, you know, there's no test to whether that should apply or whether that shouldn't apply, so to speak. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, there is. Uh, was it a lawful action, stuff like that? But it's too vague, right? I think if you if you whittled it down a little bit and made it less ambiguous, it could be a it could be a very good, um, you know, it could protect the good officers the way it's intended to, and still expose the bad officers, so to speak. I think right now there are too many bad officers that take advantage of it. And it's giving them a shield, and I agree but with that's you. That's not so. what I'm concerned about, because I'm not concerned about bad officers. I think every profession has a small percentage. Well, of people I, are how bad. should I say, misbehaving officers? Yeah, and right? I don't think we need to be arresting a lot of cops or use this. No, I just I think agree. it's that special permission that <clears throat> that, yeah. that worries me. I don't know. I don't think most people should have to worry well, about getting arrested doing their job. Well, here's the thing with qualified immunity. We do ask the police to go out and do a very difficult job, and there are sometimes... We put them in a position where they're going to have to do things. And how they're trained in your form of scorpion. You're right. right. So there's extent. I think there's an extra level in which there's criminal prosecution. I don't think we're going to see cops just prosecuted all the time. Right. Any more than a teacher. But, but, any, but to go back, scroll all the way back. One, are we, are, as, as administrators, right, and, and politicians, let's say, are we doing the right things by our officers? Are we training them the right way? We, I agree. They, they I agree. So they maybe what we could lot. agree with, maybe you agree with me not to have the qualified immunity. I agree with you that we should spend a lot for training, support, and that also that you don't always... Yeah, like, I'm not sure if I can agree with the new qualified immunity. And, that, and that also, you know, people can make mistakes and not always lose their job, depending I on I agree with is. that, 100%. I, I think that, 
we we are too we, uh, officers are a commodity here a trained officer they take a lot of not just the money but it takes a lot of time a lot of experience and they're usually good people the vetting process is very stringent when we i've been them. impressed by the new cops coming out i kind of think I, we have an opportunity i think we in have new a, i think we have a great department here in new haven i yeah. think people that are, i hate to say we sometimes, lost so much we lost so much institutional you gained a lot you gained you know there's there's some real there's good cops yeah here. i've been meeting some of them and really been impressed with why they want to be officers how they do the job they span the spectrum of like you know whether it's ideology or background but there seems to be something Listen, about the people came on during the pandemic. That they, they, they are, this was something very new. Like after the smoke cleared, yeah. all the protests, and we had this whole new world. They yeah. they are, uh, you know, like I said, there's been incidents. But for the most part, they seem like good, intelligent, morally sound officers. And I think that that's an important thing. Go back to the with the training. We get all these hours on shooting and defensive. But we don't get, we get what, an hour on ethics and morality. You know, I mean, that's a huge part of our job using discretion. Nobody even tells you that you can use discretion. That's kind of just something you do on your own and, and nobody says anything, so you use your discretion, right? However, are we, what do we, look at these guys in Memphis. Did they do them a service by making a Scorpion unit and putting them in there and detailing them what to do? I can remember back in the 90s, sometimes the boss would say, at the line, people's rights are suspended tonight. Go out and uh, round up as many people that. have you come over here. That was a quote? Yeah, that was back in the, like, 93, that was. I was brand new on the job, and I was like, "What'd you think when you heard that?" Um, I didn't think. I don't know. To be honest, I was a little nervous, but uh, you know, that's when it, when it's so violent and people were call, you know calling the PD and you know do something over here. That was the knee jerk reaction, right? And they would just send you out. And but what now? What what are you telling your officers? I mean, what's the message you're sending these guys? And a lot of these times, we don't spend a ton of time making sure these guys are constitutionally it's not we get updates in our in-service training but we don't ever go off you know the very basics what we should have known, learned in the academy a refresher i mean we get a little bit but we don't get enough right and then to be honest with you i'm going to go back to what rebecca said at the very beginning of this supervision is key we have supervisors out there that are afraid to do their jobs because they don't want these cops to dislike them mm. you know as you know me i never had a problem with somebody disliking me if i'm doing the right thing by the department right a lot of these guys and women um, they don't want to enforce these regulations on the officers, so the officers continue the bad behavior, and eventually that misconduct becomes corruption. Everything everything moves up a notch, right? Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of things that we can handle at the lowest level, and we decide not to, they turn into these huge things. Before I let you go, so uh, we had the first month of this year, after homicides dropped last year, we had five yeah. homicides, which obviously is a rate far beyond what we've known. When's the last time New Haven had that kind of rash of homicides? When I was the assistant chief in charge of the bureau, 2011. 12 years ago. Yeah, and then we came off of a year where we were very low. 2010, I believe we had eight, maybe. And we were, we were very low, and everybody was, or I think it was 2007. That's the thing about numbers. So then that got used as, so how many did you have in 2011? I remember. We had 36. I remember 36. there was one string, and, and the numbers, you know, since we're a smaller city, yeah. those numbers dramatically swing so whenever our crime went down after that people right. pointed to that one high number yeah. to have the percentage and they use dropped. that crime was dropped yeah but i remember like uh, once there was an incident at a, at a i think a laundry in a commercial laundry not a, like we go to coin op it, uh, in the hill where there was a workplace dispute and a triple homicide and then there was a tit for tat in fairhaven with a drug dealer mad at the family and just that alone made the numbers go huge all that i mean that's you know, th this is something I've been saying for years, and you know this. Uh, this is something I said in, in 2011 as well. 
if you have one incident with three homicides, my personal opinion is that should be counted as one incident, right? Because it, it, it gives the false impression that, you know, an area is well, plagued by a lot just like in this five homicides you know? in January, and we had zero in January the year before. Right. We had more shootings in the January from the year before. Right. So, so was, more people got shot. Yeah, so what but makes all, it more? But yeah. five died. So, so that, shot placement was different. And obviously yeah. we care about people's lives and everything. But, you yeah. know, like, right, so they... That's what I wear these small numbers. We kind of have a hard time getting the big picture. But it's would, real and it matters. It, it, sure. But I would also, like, I, every How time we, we talk about numbers. How do we judge it is what numbers, I'm guessing. Yeah. If we're going to look at statistics, which I could tell you from being in management for 20 years now, statistics can be whatever I want them for you to see. If It depends on just give me enough time and I can figure it out. Okay. Use a different baseline. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, the, that's the reality of the situation. Outside of the fact, how can you gauge violence in this city by the lowest reported um, violent crime. I mean, if you're going to engage violence, I would say take all the violent crime, exclude the homicides. When you talk about robberies and sexual assault, and then you could get a good barometer on how violent the city is. But I think homicide numbers with regard to violence, uh, you know, it's Only not... in the media are share responsibility for that misperception. Well, people want to know for homicide numbers, right? And that's the thing, so we give them to them. So. All right. Well, John Valleca, thanks so much for clearing up mysteries and tackling the tough issues. <laughs> yeah, sure. So yeah. we love having you in here yeah. as our criminal justice expert of WNHH. I'm thank thanks you, Rebecca much. and Harry, for your comments. Thanks for listening in. We're going to take it out with the Afro-Semitic experience, performing I Wish I Knew How It Feel to Be Free from the group CD, A Plea for Peace. This is Paul Bass inviting you to fly free with us all day and all night at WNHH, New Haven's home for community radio.